weighty, so we will proceed with caution and great care. So let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight as your body and as your church and as your people that seek your face and the movement of your spirit among us. And we pray, Lord, that you would send your spirit upon us to help us understand who you are and what it is that you desire from us and that you would speak to us in a way that we can hear clearly and that your spirit would prompt us in a way that we can't resist but to be obedient to the call that you place on our lives as your disciples. So be with us tonight, not only in this time, but in our discussion, and be with uh, the rest of the folks that are in this building tonight, the children and youth, and move in their midst as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 13 and 14 of of Luke. Uh, It's actually a a little bit shorter. Uh, Even though it is two chapters, it is a little bit shorter. So uh, maybe you'll notice that. I certainly noticed it. Um, also, I want to point out that uh, you know last week there we're really in a continuation of last week, and so I know it's a new chapter, but but it's a continuation of where we were last week. So uh, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood. Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, and he, Jesus, answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 of whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, but unless you repent you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put manure on it. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had, been a, who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then, he, then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his donkey or his, uh, his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. 
And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." Chapter 14. Uh, One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out. And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame, to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled. And the person who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. 
But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go to the, out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even their own life, they cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear their own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? whether you have enough to complete it. Otherwise, when you have laid the foundation and it when you have laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock you, saying, This person began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that you have, ha- all that you have cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. The one who has ears to hear, let them hear. And if the salt and its saltiness by the seashore, you just got a lot of S's going on there. So we continue to move on throughout the, the Gospel of Luke, and we have this call to repentance, which is not a new call, right? It's a call that we heard from the very beginning. Repent, believe, repent, and be baptized. John is calling to people to repent, And now here we have this example where the people are wondering uh, about what has happened to these other people. And it's the great question, right? It's the great question of why did these certain people die and why did these other people maybe not die? Or was God punishing these people for the things that they've done? Well, the interesting thing that we want to look at is if you remember last week, we had the example of the rich ruler or the rich fool back in 1213, and the rich person stores up all this money and then dies, right? That night, they're dead. So we have a continuation of that same example of the importance of not waiting until someday in the future when someone will be able to be ready. It is the importance of repentance in the here and the now. And we have this interesting thing going on where the beginning of discipleship is repentance. And so at the end of this section, we have this call to discipleship and the renunciation of all that a person has. And so we see this, I'm not calling it a direct inclusio, this direct kind of sandwiching together of things, but notice the repentance is necessary. 
And for us, we always want to think about repentance as a turning from something and a turning towards something. And so Jesus is calling them at the beginning of this part to repent, to turn from their lives because they never, you never know what is going to happen. And he uses these two examples of the people that died. It wasn't their fault that they died. It just happens to be the case that accidents happen. And it's interesting because then he goes on and he tells this parable about the fig tree, and it seems to be so out of place because the parable of this fig tree is uh, this man comes and he has this fig tree and this fig tree isn't producing fruit, and it begs the question, how long does it take a fig tree to bear fruit? And thanks to the Google machine, we found out today it takes a, a fig tree approximately three years to bear fruit. Well, notice the master says, for three years I've been coming to this tree and this tree is not bearing fruit. And so he wants to cut it down. And remember, before we've had allusions or references to trees and the importance of a tree bearing fruit. A tree being the life of a person, a disciple, needs to bear fruit. And notice in one instance, there's this warning against waiting because you never know when you're going to die. And in the next story, the next parable, there seems to be the great patience of God. Because he, he, the master, the owner of the vineyard, being God, gives the vine dresser, Jesus, a whole year to allow this tree, this tree, to start to bear fruit. Now, certainly it is also an allusion to the Jewish people that they are, God is patient with them for them to bear fruit. But it, it wants, it causes the listener to say, how much time do I have before I really need to start producing fruit? Well, the story before it would say, who knows, maybe you'll die tonight. But is that the question we really want to be asking? How much time do I have before I really need to start following Jesus and producing fruit? That's not really the question that we should be asking. So then he goes on and he gets into the, the, the two. Could we, could we have a discussion with God about why the Asian beetles? I mean, I understand like mosquitoes, yes, okay, whatever. But why the Asian beetles? Um. So we have these two interesting Sabbath discussions. Now notice, where does Jesus find himself? This is an interesting thing that we haven't seen Jesus a lot because when he was doing his other ministry, he wasn't necessarily near synagogues. In this case, Luke gives us this in, uh, instance where he is in a synagogue and he is teaching. And we know that there is another person that's in the synagogue who is the ruler and so this person has given deference to Jesus to allow him to, to teach. And notice what happens. The woman, what does the woman do? Nothing. You're kind of cheating. But I appreciate it. Maybe next time we'll like give them like a minute. <laughs> Everyone's like, teacher's pet. Okay, gold star. Yes, thank you. Sorry, I shouldn't be 
uh, critiquing your response. I appreciate the response. The woman does nothing, which I know everyone was going to say because as soon as a question was asked, you immediately looked at your Bible because that's where the answer is. The woman does absolutely nothing. Jesus enters the Sabbath, and what does he do? Verse 12. He sees her. That's the first thing he does. And I know we've been talking about this so often. Jesus' ability to look at people and see them. And how important that is. Because when he sees her, he immediately notices that she has a need. And we also know that Jesus is well aware what he is doing. And so we have these two healing instances on the Sabbath because Jesus wants to make a big point. And the point is, what is the Sabbath for? And I know we've had this conversation before, and I think I would go as far as to say, at times we, we have this ability to idolize what happens in this room on a Sunday morning. We have an ability to say that what happens on a Sunday morning between either 9 and 10 or 10.30 and 11.30 is the most important thing that happens on Sunday. And I would contend when we start to do that, we should start to look at how the people, how the Pharisees, and how the leaders of the temple or the synagogue were seeing what was happening in the synagogue and how Jesus comes in and he says, you have it all wrong. Because for so much of us, or for so many of us, we have come to believe that, I mean, even to the point where I've heard it said, oh good, I haven't missed the best part of the service, meaning, yeah, yeah, the singing means nothing as long as I'm in here for the sermon. And I would contend that's not even the most important part. And Jesus here is saying the Sabbath is not about the, the conveyance of knowledge and information. What is the Sabbath about? Action? Worshiping God. And what does that look like in this case? Being here? Yes. And what else? What did you say? Praising. Praising him. What happens to this lady? Healed. Her life is restored. She has spent 18 years, and she is in the synagogue because she is a faithful Jew, and she has been coming faithfully, and Jesus says, you all aren't getting it. The breaking in of the kingdom of God is about the complete restoration of the human being. It's not about what's read. It's not about what's said. It's about what is experienced by the presence of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes that looks like healing. And I read this great article today about how we have lost that. We have lost what is supposed to be happening when we gather together on a Sunday morning. And we, we rush 
we rush by all these people that are standing out there to get in here because we think this is what is most important. And Jesus says, what is most important is the people that happen to be gathered together and the restoration of people's lives that take place no matter what. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations. It's not about any of that. It is about the healing and the restoration of people. And sometimes that happens out by the fireplace. And sometimes that happens in the bathroom. I know, I said the bathroom. Sometimes it happens down the hallway. It happens in all of these different places. And what happens in here, yes, is important. But when we believe that it's the most important thing, we become these people of the synagogue that are like, oh no, we can't do that because what's more important is this. And Jesus says, you don't get it. You don't get it. God gave us the Sabbath as a gift. And when the kingdom of God comes and breaks in, healing happens and lives are transformed and it's transformed in all sorts of ways. And so woe to us who are judgmental or critical when somebody isn't in the room immediately because maybe what's actually happening out there is more important than what's happening in here. Somebody once said, Eric, you got to tell those people. They got to get in. The service has started. And I was like, what if what is happening out there is more important? What if? What if? Or what if what is happening out there while we're rushing to brunch is what we're missing? We're like, no, I got, I got everything I needed because I was in for the service, and now it's 10.05 and I got to go. Or it's 11.35 and I got to check my fantasy team and the Vikings are playing at noon and I got to make sure that my cheese dip is hot. I'm good. I did my sermon thing. I did the church thing and check the box. And Jesus is like, when we misunderstand what the Sabbath is for, we miss it. We miss it. And notice... I want us to start to notice this because it's going to keep coming back. He calls her a daughter of Abraham. And again, Abraham is pre-Judaism. Notice he doesn't say that she's the daughter of Moses. He makes a reference back to the covenant that God made to Abraham. And then he talks about the kingdom, and he talks about how the kingdom is this tiny little thing, and it starts to make its way, and it starts to expand and expand and grow and grow and grow and grow. And as Amy talked about last week, the leaven of the Pharisees, it's interesting because at times leaven is negative, and then at other times leaven is positive. It's a very important metaphor. And then we get into this very challenging thing, right? Who's going to be saved? And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And I'll never forget, last, week, last year we had a question from this area over here, and I'm not going to single them out because I didn't get their permission. And the question was, is Jesus more inclusive or is Jesus more exclusive? And this person is asking a very similar question. Jesus, who gets in? Who gets in? And notice, 
we haven't necessarily left the synagogue. Luke doesn't tell us that we've left the synagogue. And Jesus says, strive to enter by the famous narrow door. And then he gives this example at the end, when the door is shut, it's this imagery of the end and the final judgment and the door is shut and all these people are knocking on the door and they're saying, Jesus, let us in. And notice in this section, there's all this reference about being in a house and I think this is where we get the, the misperception that, uh, and, and also like early 90s Christian music, um, was it Big Tent Revival, Big House? Is that, Phil, can you help me out? Big Tent Revival, Big House? Lots and lots of rooms, big, big table. This imagery that heaven is going to be this big, giant house, and people are knocking on the door, and they're saying, why aren't you letting us in? And this can cause us great consternation, right? Because <laughs> nobody wants to be left out. Nobody wants to be on the outside looking in, because on the outside, what is happening on the outside in 28, is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And on the inside is where the kingdom of God is happening. But to get into the kingdom of God, there is this narrow door. And it's interesting because when we talk about what it means to be a disciple or to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we often talk about it as being so easy. But when we take this and we take what it means to bear our cross, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, being a follower of Jesus Christ is not easy. It's simple. It's not complex, but it is very hard. And it's interesting because when we look, jump ahead to this idea of carrying one's cross, Jesus says this hyperbolic statement about hating one's own life, but he says, renounce all that one has, you cannot be my disciple. And I was struck by this image that just came into my mind this morning about if you've ever been in a tight spot, like think about like being in a cave or like today when I was trying to move uh, our old couch out through our doorway, sometimes it doesn't fit. Anyone ever been in a cave? It kind of freaks me out. We used to take kids caving and then you get into a tight space. And you're like, I don't know, especially me, I don't know if I can fit. Like God didn't look at me and say, I'm going to make a guy that'd be really good at spelunking. <laughs> or plumbing, or, you know, these types of things where you're like into a tight space. But the renunciation of everything and the narrow door seems to give this image that when we enter into the kingdom of God, there is only space for us. There's only space for us. But what happens is we want Jesus plus. It's a new streaming service for Christians. $9.95 a month. You can just Venmo me. I'll, I'll promise I'll get it to you. We want Jesus plus. It's like, yes, okay, I'm going to repent and I'm going to turn from this. There's just a couple things that I kind of want to bring with. So I'm going to bring those with, and then we get to the narrow door, and it's like, okay, I have a problem. I, have a, I want to get over there, but I'm not sure I want to leave this stuff behind because I really like this stuff, but I can't get me and this to the other side. 
And it's like the image of the monkey, right, who reaches their hand into the jar to get the thing, and then they grab the thing so tightly they can't get their hand out, and they're trapped. How often is it the case that we grab so tightly to the things of this world that we can't enter through the narrow door because we can't renounce everything and follow Jesus? And then this imagery of, but I was so close. Lord, open the door. I was right there. I saw you and I was with you and I missed it. And I missed it. And we hear these words of Jesus to renounce everything because the door to enter the kingdom of God is so narrow that nothing from the world will fit through it with us. And we're like, is that what he really means? I mean, is that really what he means? Like everything, renounce everything? I mean, how many instances when he calls the disciples, what does he say? Follow me and leave most everything. I mean, if there's a few things that you really like from your old life, those are okay, but just leave the majority of the things because I got room for that. No, he says, leave everything. And that's where this thing about following Jesus, because we're human beings and we, you know, in our reading group, we were talking uh, on Monday, and some of you were like, oh, that's right, I missed it. Man, none of you thought that. Um, John Mark Comer, he, he references the line from, from the great Christian Woody Allen, the heart wants what the heart wants. And he goes into this whole thing about how terrible and disgusting a phrase that is. But the reality is that we are human beings and we have wants and desires and the flesh is a ferocious beast that wants to drag us back. The world wants us back. Satan is the enemy that wants us back. And Jesus says, you can't bring it in here. And so we're faced with this tough, tough thing. Do I care more about this stuff of the world or do I care more about the kingdom of God? And do I want to be the person that's standing on the outside and experiencing the weeping and gnashing of teeth? Because to be a disciple means we renounce everything and we enter through the narrow door. And he goes on and he talks about Jerusalem. He goes and he looks at the city. And the city, the people, Jerusalem represents all of Israel. And the people that he so loves and wants. I mean, Jesus came for the Jews first. He's a Jew. He's the Messiah for the Jews. And he looks and he sees these people that don't get it. That don't get it. And he has compassion and he wants to be this mother to, to the people and gather them together. But they don't get it. And then we go on to this next story. And what happens at the next story? There. They're on the Sabbath. They're not in a synagogue, but they're in the house of a Pharisee. And this ruler of the Pharisees invites him in. 
And notice how many of these events take place around a table. So they invite him in, and what does Jesus do? He sees this person. He sees this guy. Because what does Jesus do? He sees people. And he's sitting down, and like, just notice, notice who Jesus is, and you're like, this dude is so cool. He's in the synagogue, and he sees this lady, and he's like, watch this. Boom, you're healed. She didn't even ask for it, because I want to stir some things up. Here he sees this guy, and he's like, hey, what do you think, Pharisees? What should I do? He knows the answer, not because he's this omniscient person. He's Jesus. He knows the law. Can I heal this person? And they're like, well, of course not. It's the Sabbath. And he's like, oh, yeah, watch this. Boom, healed. Because it doesn't matter what happens here, what matter, or what day it is, what matters is the advancement of the kingdom of God and the restoration. Notice this, that, that he immediately is healed. I mean, just imagine what that would look like. When the kingdom of God advances people's lives are restored. And then he goes on and he talks about these two banquets. And he's been watching this whole thing happen and, and what's happening, what naturally happens. Well, I'm, you know, I think I'm kind of an important person, so therefore I should sit in this important place. And Jesus says, again, in the kingdom of God, it is the opposite of what you think. Remember back in the day, you'd have like opposite day and you'd be like, it's opposite day. You're like, really cool. It's opposite day. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> no one else did that? Must have been a Yankton thing. I met a guy yesterday or Monday, and he, he was like, oh, you're from Yankton? I played with football with a guy from Yankton. I was like, oh, cool. This idea that we need to think less of ourselves or think about ourselves less. Because... In this instance, all these people that are gathered, I mean, think about it. They're at the ruler of the Pharisee's house, and all these people think they're so important, and he tells them about this parable of the wedding feast. And if you've ever been to a wedding, and you get to the reception, and there's a signed seating, you immediately know where you rank with that couple. Can I get an Amen. And you're literally like, do we still have the receipt for the gift? Because we are sitting way over there, and we're going to be the last to eat, and the chicken that's already not going to be good is now going to be not good and cold. Trust me, I know this because nobody wants to sit at the with the pastor at the reception. No one. Literally, I sit down, and they're like, oh, great. <laughs> they're looking around like, this can't be right. And I'm like, you are not these people's favorite. Can I get an amen? And they're like, oh, of course, yep. We're with no fun person. Is there anyone? They're like, I don't think I feel, <coughs> I think I have COVID. I need to go home. <laughs> and then one time, Nikki and I, we got invited to our neighbors. Uh, daughter was getting married. And, and I was doing the wedding, so I was naturally invited because you kind of have to be there to do the wedding. Um, but then we went to the reception, and we go to and sit down, and we're like, this can't be right. Like, this must be wrong. Like, you guys have us at the wrong seat. They're like, no, no, sit with us. And we're like, no, no, 
Look at all these other people that are so much more important than us. We're just your neighbor. No. What? Yeah. <laughs> they're, right. They're, they're, we would rather sit with you. And they're like, no, we want to sit with you. And it was just like, oh my goodness, this feeling of like, we should be at the, by the bathroom. And they're like, no, you should be up here eating the good food and, and having the good stuff. And God is saying, Jesus is saying, that is the kingdom of God. The people that we think should be sitting by the bathroom and the kids' table are actually the ones that are going to be sitting up front and eating the good stuff. And then he says, for everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled, and the person who humbles themselves will be exalted. Because that's what it means to be in the kingdom of God. It's not to put myself first. It's to allow God to put me first when he so chooses. And then he goes on to talk about this banquet feast, about the kingdom of God, like this big banquet. And he invites all these people. And who does he say to invite? The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, because they cannot repay you. And it is the most common phrase that happens when we get invited to somebody's house. As we're leaving, what do we say? Thank you and We'll have to have you over next. Because there is this innate reality that psychologists have proven that when somebody gives us something, we want to give them something in return. It's this psychological phenomenon. You should try it out sometime. It is so bizarre. If somebody gives us something, we immediately have this inclination to give them something back. But if somebody can't give us something back, then it is total gift. But if it's like, should I write you a thank you for the thank you for the thank you for the thank you and give you a thank you gift for the thank you gift that you gave me for the other thank you? Because we can't handle this. It's like, has to be complete mutuality, reciprocity. Everything's got to be complete and and the scores have to be even. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is inviting the people that need it the most because who are the blessed people in the kingdom of God Remember Luke 6, the Beatitudes. Who are the blessed? The poor, the outcast, the widow, the people that don't have anything. Because the theme of Luke continues to be that God cares the most about the people in this world that the people of this world don't care about. And he says, if we are going to be his disciples, then we have to start operating and acting like we are Jesus. So when we have a party, we don't just invite our friends. We invite the last people we would invite. And I know for many of us, it's like, oh, it's so awkward. It's not that we can't ever have our friends over. It's, it's none of that. But the imagery of the kingdom of God is what? <laughs> that God wants us to invite these people the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And where are they found? In the street. And we live so in such a nice, the Timberwood Church is in the perfectly insulated location because we don't have to see any of it. Well, that's Brainerd's problem. That's not our problem. That's Pequot's problem. That's not our problem. That's a Cass County problem. That's not a Nisswa problem. But notice this imagery is 
the person is going to the city streets and saying, you come to my house. I mean, can you imagine that? You just canceled Thanksgiving with your family, praise the Lord. I mean, maybe, sorry. And you're like, this Thanksgiving, we're throwing a feast and we're going to go downtown Brainerd and we're going to start inviting a bunch of people that clearly don't have anything into our home because that's what Jesus does. Well, but was he really serious? Because at times he says things that seem to be a little extreme. Yeah. I think he, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was serious because the other people that were supposed to get it, who were invited, what is their problem? They have an infection. And what is that infection? The world. Yes. I don't know if I heard it, but I, I wanted to hear it, so I heard it. <laughs> Confirmation bias. Somebody just murmured, and I was like, the world, yes, amen. They have a problem. Notice, remember a few weeks ago when we were talking about Mary and Martha, and what was Martha's problem? She was focused on the temporal. These people are focused on the temporal. We've seen other people, and Jesus says, follow me, and they're like, well, I got some things to do. I got to go bury my dad. I got some other stuff to do. And Jesus is like, that's not how this works. The kingdom of God isn't Jesus plus. It's not a little bit of the world and, and then Jesus too. It is completely exclusive and it is all in. It doesn't matter what this world is calling us to do. It is complete and total allegiance to Jesus. And then he goes on to the really easy stuff. If anyone comes to me and does not hate their own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even their own life, they cannot be my disciple. And we're like, okay, okay, yeah, what? Because this seems so counterintuitive and contradictory. Because in Matthew, we're like, but Jesus, you said in the Sermon on the Mount, thou shalt not hate because hate is murder. And so we have this challenging theological and hermeneutical problem. What is Jesus saying here? Because clearly he's not saying we have to hate, i.e. murder our family members. And he's not saying that we have to hate ourselves. No. This idea of hate is what is the most important thing? And our love for Jesus Christ must make everything else pale in comparison. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to put him first and foremost and to allow everything else to fall by the wayside. But so what so often happens is the things of this world, including our relationships, and again, this is a group of people that understands what familial relationships look like and the importance of those relationships. And so the scandalous thing, he turns to this crowd, great crowd, and he's like, oh, by the way, who's interested in following me? This is what it's going to take. And they're all like, okay. But again, so often we make coming to Jesus sound like it's so easy. Being a disciple of Jesus, it's just easy. Just pray the prayer and then come on in. But Jesus says later, 
you got to count the cost. To follow Jesus means we walk away. We repent from everything that the world has to offer us. Because we cannot love the world and love Jesus at the same time. We cannot put our kids before Jesus. We cannot put our spouse, our parents, anyone. We cannot even put our own desires before Jesus. Or that is an idolatrous relationship. And I'm pretty sure at some point it says in the Bible, thou shalt have no other gods but me. For all my Ten Commandment people, amen. It also says keep the Sabbath. Oh, well, that, that's like a suggestion. And so we just wrestle with this thing because we have so many challenges. Like we have so many things that we want. And, it, and it's like, okay, because the extreme says, all right, tonight, Facebook Marketplace, I'm selling everything. Well, what do you got? <laughs> Might be interested. <laughs> Is it a good deal? Would you take $50 less? I have cash. As if what? You're going to write me a check? No one takes a personal check from anyone they don't know. These people are like, 350 cash. Yeah, no kidding. Duh. It's what is the most important thing in our lives and how easily it is that the world and the enemy tries to convince us that, well, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And then these things creep in and then Jesus gets to be on par with these other things or then starts to slide below these other things. And what we start worshiping is the things of this world, not the king of the universe. And Jesus says, to be my disciple, renounce all that one has. Not saying sell everything. He does say that to certain people because he says, carry one's own cross, right? To some people, their cross is to sell everything. For some people, their cross is to move to the inner city. For some people, their cross is to fill in the blank. He says, when you have things that are more important than I am, then you're no longer my disciple. And then we go back and we wrestle with, well, what's going to happen when we knock on the door in the end? And what I want to say is, if we're concerned about that, we're in a good place. Because remember last week, the renunciation of the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin, unpardonable sin, depending on the translation you use. If we're worried about honoring and loving Jesus... <laughs> we're in a good place. I know, I say this regularly. Like, you're, you're, the, you're the choir, and we're not singing. <laughs> you know, look around on a Sunday morning and be like, that person doesn't even come to Wednesday night. I'm clearly in. <laughs> Don't tell me you've never thought that. Like, I've never seen that person on a Wednesday night. Pretty sure they're only here twice a month, so... <laughs> It's funny because it can be true. And notice, the salt part really should be with the first part. It, it, 
Because what he is saying by putting these two things together is a disciple that is unwilling to renounce everything and follow me is like salt that is no longer salty. Because for Jesus, a disciple, an apprentice of him is a particular thing. And it looks like this. And when we choose not to do those things, it's like salt that is no longer worth anything. Because for Jesus, it's either all in or all out. Salt isn't like mildly salty. Like salt is salt is salt is salt. And a disciple of Jesus is one who renounces everything and follows him. And at times, for the people that don't really like the gray, this is as black and white as it gets. I love a little nuance. I love some shading. <laughs> this is hard to read. And he says, for the person who has ears to hear, let them hear. And it gives us the choice. Do we want to hear it and receive it and do it? Or do we want to hear it and move on? That becomes the question. All right. You can go to your discussion groups, and we will rally back here in a bit.